If you have been born again, if you are a child of the Almighty God, the Bible refers to you as an heir of the kingdom. Do you realize what a profound statement that is? That you have inherited the kingdom of the Almighty God. What does that involve? You're going to find out on this episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. I am so glad you decided to join me because the revelation I'm going to share on this episode absolutely transformed my life, and I believe it's going to do the same thing for you. James chapter 2 verse 5 says, has not God, no, let me back up. It starts out with the words, listen, my beloved brethren. In other words, the epistle writer is saying, pay attention to this. It's important. It's something you don't want to miss. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? That's not a heavy prerequisite. That's not a bunch of religious rules. God is just making it very fundamental and very essential. The essence, the pure essence of Christianity is loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Love is the overriding principle of the kingdom of God. And when you have a heart that is overflowing with love toward God, God overflows with love toward you and says, I'm going to give you my kingdom and everything that it comprises. Think of that. That's absolutely amazing. And we're going to dig into it like we're digging for hidden treasure. Matthew 13, 38 refers to us as being children of the kingdom. So whatever you are a child of, you owe your existence to. The kingdom of God is not just something you possess. The kingdom of God is something that brought you into existence supernaturally. You would not exist as a son or a daughter of the Almighty God had not the kingdom of God influenced you when you were in a fallen state, lost and without God in this world. So children of the kingdom, that's who we are. Heirs of the kingdom, that's what we have. And once you find out who you are and what you have, you become a powerful agent for good in this world. Let's dig deeper. Why the poor? Why does James single out that group of people? Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? I don't believe it always has to be this way because I know many people that break this rule altogether. But quite often the rich are just too proud and too self-sufficient, self-centered, and self-reliant 
to even want or need something outside of themselves. They feel complete. They are often suspicious and skeptical because of the entrepreneurial mindset most of them have. It just, uh, it just doesn't lend itself to kingdom living. But if you're born again, that all changes. I know many wealthy people that are humble and selfless and geared toward giving of themselves to others and advancing the kingdom of God, and they become very, very powerful. But actually, the poor tend to be more responsive, especially when I preach in foreign countries. I see it. Thousands and thousands of people that are just brokenhearted, have very little in life, they're desperate for more. They don't feel satisfied by what the world has to offer them. That's not, again, not always the case, but that tends to be a general observ- observation that's right. Uh, I love what Hannah said in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8. She said that God raises up the poor from the dust and the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to inherit the throne of glory. Well, to inherit the throne of glory is to inherit the influence of the king of glory who sits on that throne and rules a supernatural kingdom. Let's go through that again. Go slowly and decipher the meaning of each phrase. God raises up the poor from the dust. What is the dust? Well, that could just mean a life that's been reduced to practically nothing of any value because dust has no value. But also, you and I came out from the dust, and that speaks of our mortality. Dust thou art, unto dust thou shalt return. So God raises up the poor from the dust of mortality and the beggar from the dunghill. Well, what does the dunghill represent? That's the filthy, debased side of fallen human beings, the lower nature, the carnal nature. And so when God raises up the beggar, those that are willing to plead with him and beg, God, have mercy on me, cleanse my soul, change my life. He says, I'll pull you out of the dunghill a life that was contaminated with filth, and I'll set you among princes. That's what happens when you get to a church that's populated by people that are really passionate about God and really know God and walk with God. You're among God's royal seed. The sons and daughters of the Almighty are princes and princesses, in a sense, because they have been born of the king of all kings. And what's that talking about? That title that rests upon Jesus, he's the king of kings. Is that a reference to all the earthly kings that have reigned over various nations from the beginning of time in this world? Well, many of them were quite ungodly, unrighteous, certainly not affiliated with him. Well, it must be his offspring, if he's the king of kings, 
everyone in his kingdom inherits a kingship status. In other words, there's a transfer of kingdom power, kingdom authority. In fact, the word kingdom means a king's dominion. So if you are an heir of the kingdom, you have inherited the dominion of the king of kings in this world. And he has absolute authority here. Demons tremble at the mention of his name. You're not to be intimidated by anything, anyone, any circumstance, because you have the kingdom, the king's dominion. And of course, it's a spiritual kingdom and has to be spiritually discerned. People that are ignorant of the things of God can't look at you and immediately figure out that you're part of a supernatural kingdom. But I guarantee you there will be evidence in your life if you're truly walking in it. Praise God. Let me show you how there's two different terms in the Bible that are really synonymous. And some people get in very complicated theological arguments trying to prove they're two separate things altogether. That's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And most people who get into the dualistic view of that try to prove that the kingdom of God is a more comprehensive term that covers everything that God rules over, that God has dominion over, but the kingdom of heaven is a segment of that. I disagree with that. And one of the main reasons I disagree with that is because there are parallel passages in the New Testament where the same story or the same parable appears in different gospels. And in Matthew's gospel, it may use the term kingdom of heaven, which dominates Matthew's gospel. And in another gospel, it may use the term kingdom of God. And it's the same story, same happening, or same parable. So that lends itself to the idea that they're both talking about the same thing. But wait just a second. Pause and think about that for a moment. Kingdom of God, that's talking about the one who rules the kingdom. Kingdom of heaven That's talking about the place from which he rules. It would be like talking about the United States of America and referring to it by the presidential head at any given time, the one who occupies the highest position of authority governmentally. Or you could talk about Washington, D.C., the place from which that governmental authority extends his influence into the nation. So it's talking about the same country. It's just referring to the one who heads it up or the place from which he does that. Same thing with God. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is the same thing. And it's wonderful to be a part of that. Jesus did not come. Now, this is a very important statement. So I should say, like James, hearken, my beloved brethren. You need to hear this. Jesus did not come to set up a religious organization. He did not come to set up or to initiate a new religion. I believe he came to establish a kingdom. 
His forerunner, John the Baptist, spent a lengthy period of time preparing the way of the Lord by preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He did not say, repent, because a new religion is about to dawn on the world. He said, repent, because there's an invisible expression of God's dominion that's about to invade a world that's shrouded in the darkness of satanic control. In other words, that's basically what he was saying. He may not have used those words, but when he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it was really his way of saying heaven's going to invade the earth and there's going to be heavenly manifestations that cause people who are earthbound to become sensitive to heavenly things. In fact, it dominated Jesus' preaching. He echoed John the Baptist when he came out of the wilderness after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. His message, like John's, was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it's very close. It's very near. It's about to manifest. Pay attention to this. Kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why did he associate that with repentance? Because you and I are not going to even get near the entrance to the kingdom, the portal of the kingdom, if you want to call it that, without a repentant heart. And repentance is not just feeling sorry for your sins. It's not, uh, there's, there's plenty of, say, alcoholics that are sorry that they're alcoholics, but they don't have enough passionate compulsion to change and to turn away from that lifestyle. So it starts with genuine sorrow, but real repentance moves also to the next step of a hatred for sin. Repentance over sin, a hatred for sin, and then the final step is a departure from sin. And if those three steps are not evidenced, it's not true repentance. And if those three steps are not evidenced, you're nowhere near the kingdom of heaven. But if you desire deeply and passionately to get away from sin in your life, there's a door opening to another world, another realm that will change your life dramatically. So Jesus started his ministry preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then the word he preached was called the word of the kingdom. The gospel he preached was called the gospel of the kingdom. The first main statement of his first main message was, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now he extends it beyond just those who are poverty-stricken naturally, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, not will be in some futuristic time. But right here, right now, you can experience the kingdom of heaven if you have poverty of spirit. What is that? That is a recognition that you are bankrupt before God, morally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even physically. You are utterly bankrupt. You are poor. You cannot save yourself. You cannot deliver yourself. You are utterly dependent on God. That's what it means to have poverty of spirit. So in other words, you've got to get to the place where you say very adamantly and very 
confidently. You're confident in this truth. You're not just flipping out a statement to say it. You really mean it, that without him, I can do nothing. You have to be reduced to that place where you say, without him, I can do nothing. I can be nothing. I can accomplish nothing of any value. That's poverty of spirit. And when you say that and really, truly, genuinely have that mindset, another world opens up to you where you can step through the portal, so to speak, to put it in terms popular in our culture right now. You step through the portal. You're born again. You receive the king into your life, into your heart. He becomes enthroned inside of you. You inherit the throne of glory. Praise God. Then you can confidently say something absolutely the opposite. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You get close to that by saying, without him, I can do nothing. But once he comes on the scene and the king is ruling and reigning in you, it turns from nothing to everything. I can turn nothing into everything being a possibility when the king shares his kingdom with me. Most of Jesus' parables started with the statement, the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of God is like. Even when he rose from the dead and spent 40 days with his disciples, what dominated his instruction? The Bible said he spent 40 days before he ascended into heaven, teaching them the principles of the kingdom of heaven. He had told them before he left the world to go city by city. He sent out two by two into regions that he would later visit himself. And he told them, preach the kingdom of heaven, but he followed it up with this statement. He said, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead, deliver the oppressed, freely you've received, now freely give. So his concept of kingdom preaching included kingdom manifestation. So if you're going to talk about how a king can rule and reign in your life, that means there's going to be some tangible ways the kingdom drives the influence of darkness away from you. And that's absolutely the truth. The king's dominion manifests and demons have to flee. Sickness has to take its flight. And I've seen amazing miracles come when people get this kingdom mindset. See, Jesus told us to pray when they requested that he instruct them how. He said, when you pray, pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, holy is your name. The first request, the first thing you should ask of God, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It dawned on me not many years ago that that statement is not just a prayerful plea. It's an utterance of faith. It's a proclamation. It's an affirmation. When I say, my father in heaven, your kingdom come, I'm not always pleading with him to do it. Sometimes I'm acting and speaking as an oracle of God, proclaiming that it's being done as his representative in this world. 
And I've seen that bring forth incredible, incredible results. Try it. Try it when you wake up tomorrow morning. Just get out of bed and say, Lord, your kingdom come in my life today. I'm expecting supernatural manifestations. Your kingdom come. Let everything that your kingdom is flow into my day-to-day circumstances. And praying that way will capture the heart of the king. I guarantee you. We've got so much more territory to cover, but I think we've covered enough territory today for you to start thinking with a kingdom mindset. And on the next program, we're going to dig even deeper. And I guarantee you, I told you at the beginning, it changed my life dramatically when I got this revelation. And by the end of this series, it's going to change your life dramatically as well. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.